Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Well, good morning, Hillside. I feel like I just saw you guys a couple days ago or something like that, right? I hope everybody had a really good Christmas. I always love getting to hang out with you just through these holidays. Um, it's such a special time, and frankly, I just am really excited to think this is the last message we share together in 2020. We're almost done with this. Yeah, we could clap. I mean, we did it. Look at that, guys. We made it through 2020. It's tough. It's th- We're going to look back on this year. The history books are going to be a really interesting chapter for this year, for sure. But uh, I guess it's what it feels like to, to ha- live through something so incredible and go, Back in my day, you know, like I get to say that about this year now to my kid, you know. So anyway, I'm, I'm happy to be here. And um, something that I always love to do is to dive into the Old Testament. I think you guys know this often when I get this opportunity. I like to visit the Old Testament because to me, it's such a different world. It's very tangible. It's very physical. The battles are real. And I can look at them from a distance, see what God did with the specific group of people in a time and place. And it's, it's easy to grasp. Because to me, when we encounter battles and obstacles in our life, sometimes the brush just gets thick. <laughs> and it's really tough in that moment to step back and see things from God's perspective. And so that's why I love going into the Old Testament to see what lessons he has for us there. So today we're gonna spend our time in 2 Chronicles 32. So if you wanna go ahead and flip there and get ready for that, we're gonna be in 2 Chronicles 32. And basically we're gonna look at um, a really neat encounter that the king had, um, specifically Hezekiah, during this time for for the kingdom of Judah. And so we're gonna look at the character, the wisdom, and the steps that King Hezekiah took to fortify the people of God from a threat, a very real threat, and what we can learn from that. Um, Let's also look at this. This is what I want us to look for today. We're going to receive warning, imperative, encouragement to resist evil, stay the course, hold true to God, and believe in his deliverance. So let's pray before we get started. God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to spend time in your word together, to gather together as a body and worship you. We thank you for who you are, that you're patient with us, loving with us, and have made a way. Lord, I pray that we honor and follow you in all that we do. I pray, Lord, we learn from your word today and that you are glorified in it. In your name, amen. So who was King Hezekiah? Okay, so he landed in a long line of kings for the southern kingdom of Judah after the time of David. All right, so that kind of gives us a little bit of a pinpoint there. But, um, you know, what's so fascinating, in the Old Testament, kings were summarized to either be completely after God or did nothing that was good in his eyes. I Like, after a long life, depending on if they, you know, reigned for five years or, or 80 years, they were summarized to either be after God's heart or not. And so King Hezekiah was one of the good ones. He was one of the faithful that honored and followed God in what he did. And so what's incredible is to see exactly what it says right before our chapter to see what happens following this situation or uh, leading up to this situation. So in chapter 31, we're going to, that's our first verses before we get to chapter 32. Let's look at verses 20 and 21 together. It says this, thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah 
And he did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord God. And every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God and in accordance with the law and the commandments, seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. So he was an absolutely incredible king, right? And so you go, okay, good king in God's favor, must have good things happen to him, right? Let's take a look at uh, uh, chapter 32, verse 1. After these things, so immediately after all those good things that it just said about Hezekiah and these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. Not exactly the cause and effect that you thought would maybe occur. He had a good and faithful king, and now he has a very real threat in the Assyrian army coming to take them. So, I want us to see just a few easy points today on what Hezekiah does to prepare for this, how he responds, and what we can learn from that for ourselves. So let's look at verses 2 and 3 together of chapter 32. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and intended to fight against Jerusalem, he planned with his officers and his mighty men to stop the water of the springs that were outside the city, and they helped him. So interesting, before even Sennacherib moves in to try to fight, Hezekiah, his first response is cut off the water outside the city. So to me, our first lesson today is that whenever the enemy tries to get in a foothold, a foothold in our life, cut it off. Don't give him an inch. The water would have been replenishing to the soldiers to prepare for this fight of invasion, right? Right? Hezekiah knew we need to be wise and take steps to not give them the upper hand, to not give them any advantage for this fight coming up. And he got the people to respond and to be faithful to that, to that call. And so I said, well, what does that look like in our own life? Because I don't think many of us have fought real physical battles, maybe. And so I couldn't help but think on Matthew 5.30, and where we're told, if our hand causes us to sin, cut it off. Better the hand be destroyed than our whole body. That's an extreme connection there. But here's, here's where I'm saying. Because I think a lot of our fights, especially this year, are internal. They're within the heart. They're a spiritual battle. And they look a, very different compared to where you are in life and who you are and what God's done so far in your life. But to me, those internal battles are some of the toughest. And so I'll just be honest to, to relate with where I'm at with this. You know, um, one of the things I think most men and I, I think a lot of people struggle with is lust in today's age because of its readily availability of just horrible content. And so a couple years ago for me, and I was talking about this with, with uh, Nick, our communications director, of social media, as much as it's meant to be good <laughs> and be, uh, you know, being able to stay connected and, and, and have, you know, good connecting moments with people, there's just too much temptation there sometimes to even be worth interacting with it. So a couple years ago, I completely deleted all social media for a month. I said, I am not giving the enemy any chance of temptation in my life. I'm not giving them any foothold there. So remove it. Not worth it. I'll connect with you maybe later in person, on the phone. And typically those connections end up being more authentic than what you would have online or whatever excuse you have for that platform 
when you remove it for a moment to see how God can use your life in a different way and allow you to not be distracted or give the enemy a foothold completely changes how you approach your day and the intentionality that you have to carry out the walks of faith. So I don't know where it is in your life that maybe the enemy is embarking to set up camp. And I don't have to give all the examples because I know you're sitting in your chair right now thinking of maybe one or two where you go, yeah, that's a place where the enemy really does try to sneak in. And I can't give him any life source to be able to be bigger and more difficult for me to encounter when that battle does come. So the first lesson is cut it off. Cut off that opportunity that the enemy is trying to take to get into your life, to meddle with your life, to distract you from God's will and ways. Let's look at the second lesson in verse 5. He set to work resolutely and built up all the wall that was broken down and raised towers upon it. And outside it, he built another wall and he strengthened the millow in the city of David. He also made weapons and shields in abundance. So first... Look and prepare for that battle. Cut off any place where the enemy can get a foothold. Second, build the defenses. And frankly, be proactive in weapons and shields, right? That was a very real and tangible response that Hezekiah did. And, and what I noticed too is he gathered the people to do it. So for us, how does that relate? We're to build up our defenses. And notice this is all before the, any battle. Sennacherib hadn't even laid a finger on him yet. It's all completely in preparation. So build the defenses, right? Be proactive in putting walls against you and the enemy. You know where there are weak points, right? There were weak points in the wall that they had to build back up. They actually added a whole nother wall in front of the wall. They, were com- they took extra preparation to make sure that they were ready for this fight. And so to me, when I look at the people gathering together for us, when it comes to the spiritual battles we face each and every day, we've got to surround ourselves with community and accountability. We know that we have God's word that we can learn and equip ourselves with, but I know that I must do it with someone else to help me prepare and fight. So in that battle of lust, that will always be a fight. You always have to be intentional with whatever struggle you're dealing with. I surround myself with brothers in Christ that can call me on it, that can interact with me at any given time of the day. Sometimes they'll call at seven in the morning, sometimes they'll call at 10 at night and ask me very pointed questions that we've agreed upon to say, hey, where's your heart? Where's your mind? Are you doing what you need to do? Are you not doing what you should be doing? And those places of defense allow me to go, you know what, I wasn't struggling with it, but your call reminded me I do need to get in his word a little bit today. I do need to be intentional and have a conscious mindset that there is an enemy out there trying to distract me from what God is doing in my life. And that proactive stance, that preemptive faith, goes into action to say that when the battle does come, I'm ready for it. Because how often, with whatever you're struggling with, how often do we go, you know, I, I want to do, you know, what God wants in my life. I want to do the right thing. And we kind of, we just kind of mosey right into the battle and it, it just hits us. 
And then we're like, oh, oh, wait a minute, hold on, let me, wait, 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 let me get the wall up, wait, 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 right? Like as if the enemy's gonna wait <laughs> for us to get prepared. It's not how it works. Hezekiah knew that. He prepared, he responded quickly. The thing I can relate this to, I, I wasn't gonna share this, but I think I just was looking for an illustration of this. Um, I, don't, is, I don't know if my sister and brother are here. There's Nash. Okay, so here's the deal. So I grew up playing soccer. I wasn't great, but I played 10 years of it. And I played a little select, all right, so I was okay. And um, didn't play much in high school, and then I didn't play any at all in college. So in college, I kept up with rec sports, you know, the good old, like, intramural teams, you know, tried to be semi-active to not just completely get out of shape. So then I graduate, I went to school in Virginia, I come back here and um, start hanging out with you know, people from Hillside and, and you know, we're getting together and some of the guys invite me to play indoor soccer, which I love indoor soccer. It's a completely different game than outdoor. It's a very different type of game. What's wild with indoor soccer is that you could sub at any time. You don't have to wait for a timeout for the ball to go out of bounds. You could literally just throw them in and out like hockey, right? So I love that. And then, proved to be very helpful for me. So here's what happens. So I'm like, okay, first game, right? And like, you know, when you get together with guys in a rec league, like you're not going to practice. You're just not. And I go, yeah, I, I played 10 years of soccer. Like probably do a few stretches in the morning. I'll be good for our first game. And so my brother and sister uh, come out to watch me. This was like eight years ago. They come out to watch me the first night, and guys, it was an absolute train wreck. Like, I don't think I lasted more than like literally 45 seconds out on the field before I'm like, get me out of here. Then I can never forget this. Like, this was probably like a couple minutes in the game. The ball has a breakaway, right? And like, I'm the forward, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's me and the goalie. I could do a little move. I just got to beat the defender that's right next to me as we're running for the ball. And sure enough, guys, like, I get ahead. But all of a sudden, my body is ahead and my feet are behind me. And guys, I face plant and slide like five yards into the wall, okay? And I could just hear my sister. I could hear her cackling laugh from the stands. And I am just, I don't even want to get up. I just want to keep, keep my head in the turf and the beads. Like, because I knew I didn't prepare. I knew. Like, what, what, like, in your head, you're so cocky in the moment. And you're like, I, I, I could have done that, right? And you just think, I don't need the practice. I know what to do. You know, the muscles, they'll start stretching out and it'll be muscle memory. I'll remember what to do, but no. How often do we approach the battles in our life? Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you're a part of a small group and you go, you know, I've been taking good steps and we've been keeping up with community. And then you get lazy or maybe you get busy. And you go, look, you know, I've got these things to do. If something comes up, if there's a real temptation in my life, I'll know what to do when it comes. But what happens in that moment? When the temptation does come, the battle does come, you, you're not prepared. You fall flat on your face. Thankfully, we have a gracious and loving God who's patient with us to build us back up. But there are some very real consequences to not being prepared for the fights that we have to encounter in our life. And I think Hezekiah demonstrates an incredible approach to, to, uh, to battle. So for the sake of time, um, well, let, let's look at actually just one more verse before um, we're kind of condensing today because, you know, Old Testament chapters can get long. Let's look at 7 and 8, uh, verses 7 and 8. This is Hezekiah's words to the people. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him. 
For that there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of the flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. We are not alone. Notice that Hezekiah says, be strong and courageous, not because they are strong, but because God is their strength. It's a great reminder for us. The people were able to walk boldly into this fight because they knew where their strength came from. They knew who was with them, and they weren't shaken. And that was going to prove very important for the next couple of verses. So verses 9 through 19 in this chapter, we're not going to look at up on the screen. I'm going to condense it because it's really a dialogue that comes from the, the enemy army, from Sennacherib. He proceeds to take the next few verses to mock and taunt and shout and write letters of contempt to the people of Judah. He is trying to rattle them. So they are prepared accordingly, right? They cut off the water. They build up the defenses. They get their weapons and shields ready. They have confidence. So the enemy takes his last stab at it and says, if I could just distract them, if I could take them off course for just a moment, if I can make them doubt that they won't win this, I can get the upper hand and get momentum back my way. Sennacherib goes on to say, Hezekiah is not a fit king. He says, Who, you're following God? Who's this God? Because Sennacherib had already conquered with the Assyrian army many other people that followed gods. They didn't hold up. Why would yours? He's trying to get in their heads. And it literally says he, write, he, he yells at them. He writes letters. He goes on to even say that he gets his soldiers to yell at the guards that are on the wall. He is doing whatever he can to get them off course, to make them doubt, to make them fear. And how often, to me, this is the tactic that I have encountered the most with the enemy when it comes to the spiritual battles that I face. The enemy loves to make noise, loves, even noise that doesn't have to do with anything. If the enemy could just get you to dwell and waste time with meaningless things, it throws you off course. I've really had to look at, Heather and I have talked a little bit now that we've got a one and a half year old, time is so precious. I think time is more valuable than money at this point in my life. And it goes so fast. There are so few hours in the day, I do not know where they go. And I realize that we live in an entertainment consumerism world that just wants you to fill your life with noise. And we all say, I need a break, so I'll put this on. Well, I, I've had a long week, or I've got to keep up, right? Like we have this like, so, so I don't know where along the way we said like, if I don't watch this new series that's out, then I'm behind and I'm irrelevant, my friends can't relate with me. And I know that's a little silly of a, like a rant to go on, but if you really think about it, could it be a way the enemy's getting a foothold in our lives? Just fill their life with junk. Like, does it really better your life? And so I've literally had to ask myself and, and really going to be taking this holiday break to go, what do we cut out? How many things do I need to reduce in my life? Because I really think, like, just ask yourself, 
what's the content really being given to you in those things? And I know I'm hammering social media and, and entertainment hard, but I, I just think it's noise. I just think it's noise that's distracting, and it puts not godly thoughts in our head that we excuse because, well, it's not that bad, or I need the break, or it's fun. And I thought, what if I asked God, what are ways to give myself rest, to honor you, that are joyful and fulfilling that don't include the noise that I typically allow myself to consume? That was a question I asked as I hit this. And then there's also the very real tangible side of the mocking and the taunting that Sennacherib does to the people of Judah. How often have you encountered a battle where you know what you need to do in trusting in God in a, in a particular moment and there's doubt put in your head? that you can't do it, that God isn't real, that God can't help you. And frankly, back to parenthood, it's been the most humbling just little journey so far that many of you have lived decades to demonstrate how to walk faithfully according to God's word as a parent. And I am so humbled in the sense that, again, I was talking with Nick preparing for this uh, message, and he, he said to me, I, there are some human emotions I didn't know I had, the negative ones, until I became a parent. And if you know Nick, he is one of the most nicest, soft-spoken people you'll ever know. And, and it is, it's humbling to see the amount of exhaustion and anger that's not pointed at your child, but just at the circumstance of, I have nothing. And it's in those quiet moments as a parent, you're, you're given doubt by the enemy that you can't do this. Well, you should muster up more strength on your own to get through this. And then your attitude sour, your your kid takes the brunt of it, and then probably your spouse and your community. And I just, I, I was reminded, I can't let the enemy get that foothold to put that doubt, to put that fear that I can't do it because, what does Hezekiah say? Be strong and courageous because our strength is in the Lord, not in flesh and bones, not in ourselves. When we humble ourselves and submit ourselves to him, he equips us with strength that is unexplainable. And the joy that comes from the endurance and deliverance of whatever battle you're facing is absolutely, absolutely incredible in that moment. And again, a reminder, all of this is before the battle even happened. It was preparation. And so we sit here today, a, a pause in your daily and weekly routines per se, to go, where can I start now? What can I do today before the week gets started? Ask yourself, pick a day. Maybe Sunday's a bad day for you for that. Pick a day where you sit down as a family, as a household, and go, what do we need to do for this week to be glorifying to God, to be successful, and being intentional in our lives Ask yourself that. Be intentional with that preparation, right? So Sennacherib ends up taunting them for a few verses, gets at them. So what's the response that Hezekiah has to this taunting? Verse 20 of chapter 32. Then Hezekiah the king and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, prayed, prayed because of this and cried to heaven. 
prayer. The power of prayer. How often, I was thinking about this, how often do we approach prayer with the attitude of, well, it's all we got left, right? Like, I think we do it subconsciously where it's this like, well, um, you know, somebody's hurt, somebody's sick, right? Well, the doctors did all they can do, so, and what do we say? I guess all we can do is pray. You, you already see how the enemy has us twisted around? It's as if prayer is the Hail Mary last resort. That, ah, does it really help? And I really am reminded in moments like this that prayer is the first thing we should do. The second thing that we, it should be without ceasing when we face battles and when we don't. The power of prayer is real. I've seen it. I've experienced it. I know many of you have too. I mean, right? Like the purpose of a Hail Mary is the last second ball that you throw up in the air and hope that the wide receiver catches 60 yards down the field amidst eight defenders. That probably won't happen. And I think a lot of us have Hail Mary prayer attitudes. Ah, I hope it makes it. Oh, God, I hope you got that. No. God wants us on our knees first and in sincere posture that is, God, I believe you are here and that you will respond. And it's often not the way we think. It's not a cause and effect. It's not a, well, because I did this, I'm rewarded immediately with what I'm asking for. And here's my challenge to you today on prayer. I began doing this a few months ago just from just a conviction of mine that I had that I know prayer works, but I started realizing, what if I'm not praying for the right thing? And in a good way, I was convicted about this, and I said, God, why don't, when I come to you in a battle, before a battle, why don't I first lay myself down before you to say, God, what do you want me to pray for? Because there are times in our life, I mean, Romans says it, right? That there are groanings in our heart that we cannot put to words. But the trust and the comfort is to know that the Spirit can be our intercessor for those prayers that we don't even know how to put words to. But even that, just that attitude of prayer to say, God, lay on my heart what you want me to, to talk to you about. So before I even go to him with an with a request, I said, why don't I go to you more often and say, God, I'm laying myself before you know where I'm at, but tell me what you want to hear. And it completely changed my time with him to where I listened first. So often we're like really busy and we have a really bad moment. We're like, oh, I got to pray right now, right? And we just throw it up. And then it's like we go right into the battle, right? And then we're like, oh, my God, I'm in a jam throw it up. There's no conversation there. Like that's, you're flipping a quarter in the water at that point. He wants a relationship with you. And Hezekiah and Isaiah, the prophet beside him, did that. So it's just incredible to see all that we get from this story. Um, now, what, what, what happens to this story? It's pretty incredible. God shows up. God shows up in a big way to the response of this prayer. He actually ends up sending the angel of the Lord. And you could read this in the next couple of verses. 
He sends the angel of the Lord. This also, this chapter parallels with Isaiah chapter 37 because you have the prophet Isaiah in this story. So you could actually get a little bit more context uh, from this great thing to read. Um, God sends the angel of the Lord in response to this prayer. And get, get this, Judah didn't have to lift a finger. In one swoop, Isaiah 37 says, the angel of the Lord obliterates 185,000 Assyrian troops. That's the power of God. He can respond in ways. I mean, as you're reading the story, if you're thinking about it, without the ending, you might be thinking to yourself, how are they going to do this? It sounds like they're surrounded. And that's what I love about God is he always shows up in unexpected, unique ways, and he has the ability some, some of the questions that, that you might ask about this is, well, why didn't God do this sooner, right? Like, if he, would have, if he, if he was going to do that, why didn't he do it sooner? Now, I, I know God has his exact reasons every time each and every one of us faces a battle. And sometimes we, don't, we won't fully get to understand what the other person had to go through for that because God had something to teach them. And I, I really think that's true here. God allows us to go through trials sometimes so that we can strengthen the defenses, so that we could build our trust in him, draw closer to him. Can you imagine just how much Hezekiah and Isaiah and the people of Judah fully understood what God did for them because they saw the threat, because they experienced the taunting, the mocking, the contempt? I think faith is fully realized through the trials and the battles that we face each and every day. And I appreciate God more. I love him and respect him and want to honor him more when I see him deliver me through the toughest battles. Now, this part of the story draws to a close in verses 21 through 23. People have their riches, they, they, right? The party can start, okay? But the chapter has one more little nugget of wisdom for us that we absolutely have to visit. Verses 24 and 25, right after the battle is won. It says this, In those days Hezekiah became sick, was at the point of death, and he prayed to the Lord, and he answered him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him, for his heart was proud. Therefore wrath came upon him and Judah and Jerusalem. How often... Is this really the biggest battle we face? Pride. I have walked in the faith long enough to know that so often God can deliver me and help me through a circumstance. And I'm thankful for what he's done. But very quickly, it's just etched into the human heart. Very quickly, I go. And again, it's in the whispers of my heart. I probably wouldn't say it to you, but very quickly I go, I did that. I got through that. I made it through, and it's me. I've turned it and made it about me. And thankfully, God is not willing to let us get away with that attitude. He actually allowed for Hezekiah to get sick amidst the victory and actually, you want to see something pretty crazy. 
take a look at Isaiah 38. We're not going to do it today up here, but just go take a look at 38 because you actually get a dialogue with the prophet Isaiah and Hezekiah when Hezekiah gets sick. Isaiah goes to him and basically says, buddy, your days are done. God's done with you. It says his heart was proud. His posture got so confident in what he was able to accomplish. He was almost willing to let the battle and the victory be lost. What's it say in 26, though? But Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. Again, you got to check out Isaiah 38. It's really cool because it says that God actually gives him more years. It says that the sundial is turned back, per se. God grants him more life because he humbled himself. Now, that is not a promise for each and every one of our stories. It's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is God is seeking for a humbled heart. And here's what I noticed in this part of that text. When there's pride as a part of the battle, it doesn't just affect you. Pride affects the people around you. Your family, your community. It says the inhabitants of Jerusalem Hezekiah had to lay himself in mourning and lament to get right with God. How often do we think, well, I'm pride. Like, I, I, there are often times when I get prideful and I go, I know I'm doing it. I know I'm doing it. And I'm willing to own it. But what I'm not willing to admit, and I think it would completely change the way I approach the battle with pride, is to really admit how much it affects my family how it affects my relationship with them, how it affects you as a body together with me as a church. It, 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 it seeps and, and, and affects your relationships and how you approach your day and how you execute the important things of life that end up going to the wayside because you're struggling with your own fight. I often think I've wasted a lot of energy fighting fights within myself and the internal spiritual battle with the enemy if I would just stay oriented with who God is, that he's my strength, that he's the one that wins these battles. He could do so much more when we maintain a humble heart. And I know that's a tough one, Hillside. But I challenge you to think where are places that you can lay yourself before him more in humility and submission to allow him to be your strength and to allow him to get the glory. I am absolutely thankful that we have a loving, wonderful, strong, mysterious God that works in incredible ways that we often don't give him credit for. Because we only can see the battle from our perspective. But yet God has a much bigger one. And is fully capable of handling it. And he's seeking for you to look to him. To be faithful to him. You know, one of my favorite thoughts about the Christmas season is just the fact that we get to celebrate the ultimate deliverance in Christ. The fact that he came to this earth to live a life and to sacrifice himself for us is, it humbles me. 
I'm thankful for it. And I'm, I'm thankful we have a season to dwell on that. And we probably don't do it enough. So I invite you to today to think about what God has done for you. He's an incredible God who loves you, who's demonstrated a life through his son on how to live, how to be strong and courageous and put up the defenses. I mean, if you want to talk about somebody that dealt with temptation, just visit Christ in the wilderness, right? It's a great reminder. So my encouragement to you is to remember this, that when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. 1 John 1, 9. The verses before that, I'm reminded that when we walk in the, not, when we walk in the light as he is in the light, that we are in fellowship with one another. We do this together. Don't isolate yourself, and I know this year's made it really tough. Find those connections. Build the defenses together. He purifies us. Through his blood, we have a way. He has delivered us, and he is just waiting for you to take part in that. If you consider yourself a follower of Christ, remember these things. Continue to meet with one another in discipleship and accountability. And take time to pray. Give him that time of day. Not as a last resort, but as a first moment of devotion that just orients your heart in a way that allows you to be humble and stay the course. If you don't know this good news, I, I invite you to have a conversation with him. Maybe if you're not ready for that, have a conversation with one of us. Our prayer leaders are in the corners after the service. Maybe talk with a family member or friend just about God. Open up the conversation. Go, you know what? I faced a lot of battles in my life, but I've never had God. And I invite you to let him in. He loves you. Hillside, I'm thankful that you were here today. I want to pray to close this out. Let's bow our heads. God, thank you so much for this time together that we can learn from stories in the Old Testament of how you guided Hezekiah and your people to be strong and courageous on your strength, on your glory, on your power. And Lord, each and every battle that we fight, we can rest in you. We can find strength in you. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. We are thankful for your son, the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate deliverance to life, eternal life in you. Lord, I pray that as we reflect on this year that we could be thankful for what you have done, thankful for the endurance to get through. And Lord, I pray for next year to be one that is devoted and honoring to you, where we can help this world see light, your light amidst the darkness. We love you, Lord. Praise your name. Amen.